Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We were all taught that faith without works is dead, meaning yeah. that you can't just have faith. You have to, you have to do, do things. things that allow you to be worthy of receiving the grace or mm -hmm. receiving the forgiveness. And so with that in mind, when you work, 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 as Celia did, and then you're told, you know what, all of that work you did up to this point, the abuse, the losing your family, your sister, all of the stuff you went through just wasn't good enough. You're just, you're just not good enough. You are not worthy of forgiveness. You're not worthy of grace. All of this work you did was for not why don't you just get out of here? That is so mentally abusive. I can't even, I can't explain it enough how hard that would be. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kiddos. Yes, we do. We want to say thank you so much to all of our YouTube members and our donors on DonorBox. We really do appreciate all of your love and support. Yes. Today we are back with another episode from Daughters of the Cult. This is episode four. And man, every single one of these episodes, it just gets crazier and crazier and seeing the amount of like manipulation and things that can happen when a prophet dies, mm. which this kind of like, I guess brings a lot of intrigue for me because there is this piece of me that's always kind of wondering what's going to happen in the FLDS with Warren Jess when he dies, because there's already been people who have tried to like stand up as prophets, stand up as leaders. And so far, all of them have kind of failed mostly because they are committing other crimes and doing awful things. But still, there's this idea of like, when he actually does die and everybody truly believes it, where's it gonna go? And that's the problem that right now, the Ervil LeBaron group is having. Mm -hmm. Because Ervil dies in prison and it causes the splinter basically, right? He has Dan Jordan, who was his second in command. He has Mark Shanoth, who, you know, was kind of, they say was in on the hits, even though they can't prove that he was in on it, but obviously was like a top leader and involved in those conversations. It seems pretty likely that he was much involved, which is interesting because, yes, all of the people, like the two daughters, Anna and Celia, that are sharing their experiences, they always talk very highly of Mark, which just goes to show that if he was involved in those killings and things, that even a good man to most people around him could still be convinced to do something that is completely awful if it's what they believe God is asking them to do. Yeah, So absolutely. I found that interesting with Mark. Yep, and then the third was Ervil's son, Arturo LeBaron. And supposedly, Ervil had said that Arturo was to be the next prophet, right? So going with lineage that way. And so as being picked by as the oldest son, he goes and forms back in Mexico the Church of the Lamb of God, which they started calling Kingdom of God, KOG for short, and it really becomes this mafia type yeah. thing. They start stealing cars, they're running drugs, and it's a lot of teenagers that have really been separated. Like 
The separation of family, I feel like, within the LeBarons and the FLDS is so similar that these kids don't really have, like, parent-like figures almost. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the it's, it just goes to show you, I think that something similar to this will happen in the FLDS too when Warren Jeffs does pass away, is that these kids or these teenagers or whoever is still following and believing in those teachings someone will try to stand up and claim to be the prophet and you would hope that the teachings of this prophet like like uh Ervil the Baron would just die with him because of all of the evil and wicked things that he was trying to convince his followers to do but no it just goes to show you that if a quote unquote prophet has such a hold on his people and the respect that they will do whatever he asks them to do that they will continue that on. They will continue believing in and following his teachings even after he does die. I think it's interesting that within Mormonism, I mean, there's lots of central ideas of the family, families being together forever, and that's part of like the polygamous aspect. And yet, like his posterity, Arturo, is starting, and it goes into like crime lord type territory, which is so far away from the rest of Mormonism, I feel like. Mm -hmm. You know, stealing cars, running drugs. Arturo ends up shot in the back, then it goes to Heber LeBaron, and they said he's like a drug-fueled partier who's now a prof prophet, right? But it's like a bunch of these kids, it's like Lord of the Flies, basically, where all these kids are running everything, and they've just been around so much violence their whole lives that, like, it's just turning into craziness. Yeah, and they don't, it doesn't seem like it really, or at least they haven't talked about anyone yet trying to stand up against it because it's, just, it's what they're used to. When you're born and raised with a certain way of living, it's hard to switch that off, it seems like. Even when it's a lot of crime, a lot of, I don't know, even murder and that type of things, it's yeah. just... When you're born and raised in it, it's so hard to switch it off and try to convince yourself that it's not right. But maybe some did try, and well, maybe they just didn't get away with it. Yeah, well, even, I mean, they say that Heber, so he's kind of going crazy. He's setting up militia. He's trafficking the women and children. There's a lot of incest going on. And the even the followers down there were still like, okay, something needs to change, and that's where... Aaron took over and they were like, listen, you need to let Aaron be in charge. And it started bringing it back to those religious roots. And so while they're bringing it back to religious roots and they're going through their crazy mob experience in Mexico, you have more of what I would consider like the, the route I think the FLDS will go, which is Dan Jordan is saying, no, I'm the prophet. I was the prophet's right hand man. Right? He sounds a little bit like um, Warren taking over for his father. Like, mm -hmm. I was here the whole time, so it makes sense that I should logically be the next prophet. And starts convincing people, starts convincing uh, Anna and Celia's mother. Right. And he, it worked. And it worked. Convincing them to move back to Denver when really what did he need? Slave labor, yeah, right? He just needed people to do what he wanted them to do for him for free. Mm -hmm. And But he was because, once again, once someone is in that authority position, then it's easier to convince people. And so that's what he did. He was able to go in and say, you know what, this is what Ervil told me once he passed on, yada, yada, yada. It was my right to continue on. And so, yeah, they did convince Anna and Celia's mom. And Anna, this is actually when she decided, no, I'm not 
Dan Jordan is not someone that I'm willing to be around again <clears throat> because he was just a very abusive and awful person. Yeah, and so they she stayed with her sister and Mark Schnoth. And it is, like you said before, interesting to hear that like Mark was involved in all a lot of these awful things and like the planning of some of the hit list and all this, but seemed like an everyday nice guy. And she was talking about how they were constantly feeling this pull between the religion, it seemed like Mark and Lillian wanted to not be a part of it and kind of put it behind themselves, and yet they have it like deeply and rooted in themselves, the religious part of it. So they're trying to like keep certain parts alive and let other parts go. And I feel like there's a lot of people in the FLDS right now that are feeling those same ties where it's hard to like let go of all of the religious beliefs. And so where do you start like separating the, I'm not quite sure if everything Warren's saying is true. But I also have this testimony of all these other things, and I don't know where to separate those lines. Yeah, I don't know how you do that either, honestly. For me, it was a, I don't know, it was a little different for me because I didn't find myself within the religion wondering if it was true, right? That kind of came after. I, I left and then went through my faith crisis almost, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how you do that as far as, and I do know a few people that are in that situation right now that still believe in Warren Jeffs, but they are having a hard time with some of the things that he is teaching them and telling them to do. And so they have their questions and their doubts, but how do you give it all up? Especially if you're, you know, if you're getting up there in age and you've spent your whole life doing what you believe to be the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hard to just all of a sudden switch that off. Like, for Mark, I can't imagine after everything that he had been involved in, how hard it would be to just say, ah, well, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to just completely walk away from this. Yeah. And I mean, obviously they had kind of known the full story of what was going on, like Mark and Lillian, because Anna did find the book. I think it was mm. Prophet of Blood, the untold story of the LeBaron family. And she talks about the fact that that's when she first realized and discovered as she was reading this book that she knew she wasn't supposed to find. Um, but obviously it was in Mark's house, right? Mm -hmm. This just reading all the information that had been happening, kind of putting together the puzzle pieces of why her childhood was all over the place, what was really going on. And she said that's when she first realized that she was in a cult. And I don't know, maybe you can speak to this. What was like the moment for you when you realized that Warren Jeffs was no longer a prophet or that like how you had been raised, there was more to it than what you realized in your bubble? Yeah, well, similar to Anna here, it was once I learned more information. And it also takes a while for someone that's raised in a bubble like that to trust the information, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I imagine that Anna went through that. But considering that it was written down in a book that was in a member's house, it was probably easier for her to trust that what it was saying came from the church. But for me, yes. I decided I wanted a different lifestyle. I moved away. I gave up so much. It's a, it's a long story, but ultimately I came to the realization that what I was taught wasn't true and that it was in this, I don't know, it was done for personal gain. It was done because a man wanted power, authority over everyone. He wanted things that he wanted and that being Warren Jeffs, of course. But I realized that once I left, had been out for a while, and started actually accessing information from the outside world that we weren't allowed to have inside the group, and realizing that, oh, look at all of this evidence, look at these pictures, look at these audio recordings and videos and things of what 
he was actually doing. And that's when I realized that, that what I was a part of wasn't true. And she talked about after learning all that information, she was like, I just did what I had been raised my whole life to do. And I just kind of like compartmentalized it and kind of just moved on with my life. Mm. How was it for you? Like emotion wise, like, was it earth shattering? Was it sad? Did it make you angry? Or were you just like, okay, this is something I know now. And I just got to set it over here. <laughs> Considering that I had already chosen to leave the group, leave the church for a different life that I wanted for myself, it was almost a relief oh. to realize, oh, you know what? I don't think I am going to hell. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think that what I was taught would happen to me if I leave is going to happen to me anymore. Mixed in with the fact that the, I don't know, the smiting or the, the things that I was told would potentially happen to me, they weren't happening. And so that was another thing that switched in my brain that made me realize, oh, you know what? All of these awful things I was promised would happen to me aren't happening. I kept waiting for them to happen. I kept waiting for some, I don't know, demon to show up and say, ha ha, now you're on my ground. Let me show you how to do this. You know, like I kept waiting for that for the first little bit because I was so convinced that it was the truth. But when it didn't happen and didn't happen, it, I started realizing, oh, this was all just to scare us into believing what they wanted us to believe. Was it also a relief that you didn't feel like you had to go back? Because when you first left, you said you thought like, okay, I'll be out here for a while, but I have to go back to be saved. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would probably be a portion of it, right? Like this idea that like, okay, I don't actually have to go back to that in order to be saved. Definitely, yes. Like I say, it was a relief because of that. But that was tricky because going back for me was not only for the spiritual aspect of everything, but also the temporal mm -hmm. in that I really missed my family. I really missed my loved ones. I missed, not only missing, but struggled with the outside world because I wasn't familiar with how life was on the outside. And so just being uncomfortable or being afraid of how to move on with life, it was more those reasons on top of missing my family that I felt like going back a few times. Mm. So. Well, one of the things that Dan Jordan implemented, which again, has a couple interesting aspects to it, is he implemented a mission field and going on a mission to Salt Lake City. And they said in particular, they were trying to convince LDS members to switch to their fundamentalist belief. And this is interesting to me for two reasons. One, because the FLDS didn't do missionary work. They weren't trying to convince people to become fundamentalists. And two, you know, that follows more of the mainstream Mormonism where you're going out and seeking people, but they're going to the mainstream Mormons to try to convince them of it. Yep. And I think that that is a fundamentalist Mormon thing to do. I think that there are other fundamentalist groups out there that think it'll be a lot easier to convince someone mm -hmm. that is already believing a lot of the same things and just trying to convince them that, hey, you know what? You went astray right here. This was the moment you went astray because this is what God actually says and this is what you should be doing. Of course, though, for Dan and them, it wasn't really... It's interesting, though. They even said a big part of the reason he wanted to bring more people in was for that slave labor, basically, to give him people to do more work for him. Labor and, I'm sure, tithing money. And, and yep, money and all of that. So And, of course, they sent out young girls into the field to try to make it seem like it was more innocent and that they could bring people in easier to try to connect with them.
but I don't know that they even convinced one single person, did they say? They said they didn't have a lot of success, which caused problems, physical abuse. Eventually, mm. Celia was told, we don't think you're celestial material. And for those of you who don't know what that means, because when they said that, you could tell on Celia's face still even now, just how heart-wrenching that was for her. Celestialness, or like being celestial, it refers to being worthy of the celestial kingdom, which is the highest degree of heaven. And so when you're living within Mormonism, that's the ultimate goal. Everything that you're doing religiously to be as perfect as possible, to be doing all of the things all of the time, is to be able to obtain the celestial kingdom. So for them to say you're not celestial material is saying that you're not good enough to make it back to God. You're not good enough to be able to receive all of these blessings that you've been taught about your entire life. And so, you know, she did leave and she was like, yeah, I left and I knew I was going to hell, but that hell was better than the hell I was well, in. She only left because after taking physical beatings and physical and mental, mental abuse, and, abuse yeah. and all of the stuff that they put her through, even after all of that, she only left because her mother said, you should probably just go. And I don't know if her mother was saying that. I was wondering during the time they said this, did her mother say that because she was also convinced that she wasn't spiritual enough to be around? Mm. Or did she say it because she was trying to protect her from future abuse? Yeah, after beating, beating her. But the fact that her own mother was part of the physical abuse to her, mm. it made me wonder, I don't know. This, it sounds like this mom of hers was so convinced, it's hard to know where her heart was with it all. I don't know for sure, but yes. Also to put into perspective here, if someone had come to me in my teenage years in the FLDS church, you know, maybe a few months before I decided to leave and said, you know what, you're not spiritual enough, I would have been like, yeah, no, you're right. You know, thanks for noticing, whatever. But for her, she was a thousand percent in it and she was so obedient. She was doing everything she could possibly do to be obedient. She was taking the abuse. She was still believing it was all because it was a part of God's plan. So for her to hear that, I can only imagine that that would have just been earth shattering to her. I was just going to say, I can relate. If someone had come to me in my teenage years and said that to me, it would have been earth shattering. I would never be the same again. Mm, if someone had yeah. come and said that to me because of how deep I was and where I was spiritually feeling like I was doing all of the things all the time and trying to live perfectly. Like almost you don't even like want to even accept or think of the idea of grace because you just believe so wholeheartedly that it's all of your works that mm. are going to get you to heaven. And that um, grace isn't sufficient. I need to be doing this, 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 and that I have to do everything perfectly. So to be told that like you're not or you're not doing it well enough would would have been like yeah. earth shattering. Well, we were all taught that faith without works is dead, meaning yeah. that you can't just have faith. You have to you have to do, do things. things that allow you to be worthy of receiving the grace or mm -hmm. receiving the forgiveness. And so with that in mind, when you work, 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 as Celia did, and then they, and then you're told, you know what, all of that work you did up to this point, you know, the abuse, the losing your family, your sister, all of the stuff you went through just wasn't good enough. You're just, you're just not good enough. You are not worthy of forgiveness. You're not worthy of grace. All of this work you did was for not, why don't you just get out of here? Like, that, that is so mentally abusive. I can't mm -hmm. even... I can't explain it enough how hard that would be. 
Yeah. So that's what's going on with Dan Jordan's group, right? So you have Mark Shanoth who's trying to like kind of separate, trying to just live a regular normal life. You have Dan who's trying to claim he's a prophet. He's sending out missionaries. There's physical abuse going on. There's slave labor going on. And then you have this group that we're talking about that are like Lord of the Flies in Mexico. Now in, now it's Aaron. Heber's still his right-hand person, but Heber was just out of control. Aaron's trying to bring it back to the fundamentals of their group, and they end up with the Book of the New Covenant, right? And so they end up with Earl LeBaron's teachings and his hit list. And, you know, these sisters were talking about the fact that these kids didn't really even know Herbal. You know, a lot of them didn't know their father barely at all. And she said if they had, they would have realized how crazy these teachings were. But because they didn't actually have that type of relationship, they just were reading it as like fact and not being able to see that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And so they start seeing the hit list and they decide that they are going to take that into their own hands. And so they show up as these poor teenagers from Kingdom of God to Dan Jordan's. There were seven teenagers that show up and say, we just want to be a part of your group and... Can we come and be, you know, back in part of the family and Dan needs workers and um, while he didn't really fully trust them, he was like, sure, you know, you can come, you can work for me, you can be a part of our group. I'm sure if he's claiming to be a prophet, there had to be a part of him that it had to have made, like, made him look good to have people coming and accepting him, right, as their prophet. But they're out camping and somebody shoots him. Yeah. And nobody knows who did it. They were even taught, I think it was Orville himself that taught that in or, like the killing of someone on the hit list was to be done a certain way. You were to approach them as a friend and be kind to them and loving and, mm -hmm. and, and, and try to become this close friend of theirs before you then turn on them. So they were doing it according to the teachings of herbal it wasn't that they just showed they could have showed up to his house and pulled the trigger and walked away but nope it had to be done a certain way so they were following the book to the t and uh dan jordan i believe was on the top of the hit list and so that's why they went to him first yeah and it seems like they gained his trust because he invited them to go camping with him with him and he did have a gun with him the whole time though except for when he went to go use the restroom and then one time he let his guard down and that was enough Yep. And the this episode kind of ends on the fact that now, you know, there's a couple more people on the hit list, um, Eddie, Dwayne, and Mark Shanoth, and they talk about the fact that they had set it up so each one of these men were in a different place being met up with at 4 p.m. And it kind of leaves there, so I'm sure that's what the next episode's going to be about. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So those, that's where it left off. They're all showing up at the same time. They're all being met by this person that is dressed this certain way, which I wonder again if that was Herbal's doing. Of, this is how you have to dress. This is what you're supposed to. I don't know. It, there's a lot. There's the, a lot to unpack. The amount of detail that Herbal LeBaron gave his followers on how to do things reminds me a lot of Warren Jeffs. Mm -hmm. For some reason, when they are like the more, the deeper they get in their own teachings and the, the worse things get, the more detail they offer. It's like it's no no longer good enough to just be following certain general guidelines. Now it's you have to dress a certain way, you have to eat a certain way, you have to pray a certain way. All of these extra details come in to play and I have a feeling that Herbal was becoming very similar or 
I guess, war and jest is becoming very similar <laughs> to the way herbal LeBaron was. Yeah, so we will be doing the next episode next week. So come back to check that out as far as what happens at 4 o'clock to these three men. And if you want to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, please like and subscribe. Yes, thank you all so much for being here with us again today. And we look forward to talking with you soon. Talk to y'all soon.